Our next guest is one of the fastest rising stars in country music. Michael Ray, his hotly anticipated new album, Amos. Rising country music star Michael Ray is here. Here with the song, One That Got Away, Michael Ray. Three of your singles have been certified no gold. She's decorating my car. Soon she'll be breaking my heart. Just two wild horses to be on my Welcome to episode two of What's Next with Eric Wood. Our guest this week is Michael Ray, national recording artist, country music star, and a good friend of mine. I met Michael a couple years ago in Buffalo on his tour bus before a show. That day, he let me sing Dust on the Bottle with him on stage in front of 20,000 people up in Buffalo. And what an awesome experience that was for me. And always been impressed. Love his music. He's got hits. uh, One that got away. Think a little less. And many others. And... What's always impressed me most about Michael, though, is the way he treats people, whether it's me, one of my friends, my wife, my family. He is so welcoming and so genuine, and I think you'll see that through this podcast. Uh, We have an awesome interview. I think you're going to fall in love with Michael's story of what got him to Nashville, what makes him great, who he looks up to in the business, and much more. Enjoy the show. Michael, welcome to the show. Welcome to What's Next with Eric Wood. I appreciate you coming on with me. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're out here in Phoenix. We have the uh, – it's Waste Management open this weekend, and Michael's playing a star-studded lineup tonight. Lucky to steal some time with him today. At the expense of trying to save him some time, we'll hop right into this. <laughs> Normally, we'd, uh, we'd talk it out, uh, but we did a little bit of that off-air. So, starting out, tell me about – Growing up in Florida in the small town, I know that's uh, the roots you got from there is what started you in this business. Yeah, man. Um, I grew up in a town called Eustis, Florida um, in Lake County. And my, uh, my family, I got a very big family that, uh, that are all right there in Eustis and literally on the same road. And so my real last name is Roach, R-O-A-C-H. And back in the day, they used to say, you know, to get to – Daytona, you're going to go down 44, you're going to go through Roachville, and then you're going to get, you know, so it was for years, um, my whole family was there, and it's one of those things that growing up, we were used to it, um, didn't realize how fortunate I was to have that, um, you know, as a child and growing up, until you get older and you, you don't have that no more, people start moving, so, um, but it was on that road, man, it was, it was, my bus stop was my dad's bus stop, which was this little yellow house my great-grandmother had, um, and she, her love and how she showed her love was she l- just loved taking care of everybody. And she'd wake up at four in the morning, man, and start cooking breakfast. And, and everybody would buy the groceries for my great grandmother, my great grandparents. So she would cook these homemade breakfasts for breakfast, I guess, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, <laughs> yeah. uh, for everybody. So, I mean, this little tiny two bedroom shack house is, you know, where all my memories were of before school. You know, me and my grandpa and his brothers and my dad and my uncles and my aunts and grandmother and cousins, we'd all meet up there, eat and head off to school and the guys would head to work and, you know, whatever else would, you know, where everybody else had to go for their day. But um, my grandfather, to rewind it even a little further back, my grandfather Amos um, is who I believe planted my seed in country music Mm -hmm. way before I was ever even thought of. He was in in the Army, stationed in Anchorage, Alaska. And uh, when he got out of the Army, he met my grandmother, and he was always a really, really talented lead guitar player. 
and just had a passion for country music like like no other. And even being in country music, there's still people where I go, man, if, if my grandfather just had the shot. Right. I mean, his passion was – it was unbelievable. Um, so he they had two kids, my dad and my uncle, and he was just – he was so passionate about music. He, you had to have it in your life. So he would give it. He gave a guitar to my dad, and my grandpa, and my uncle, and my cousins, and that would later on lead to my family's band through the '80s and into the '90s called the Country Cousins. And it was my dad, my uncle, my cousins, and my grandfather. And uh, yeah, that's what led me into. They had me on stage when I was a kid, and and I was eight years old, and they taught me my first set of chords, and I was on the road every weekend with my grandfather. So that's so cool one of my favorite books is uh outliers by malcolm gladwell love outliers and it talks in the book about the ten thousand hour rule and like you need to get ten thousand hours in anything to become a master at that Mm -hmm. it's crazy that you're like the tiger woods of country music you grew up in a family that was into country music you got to play in front of people which a lot of people you know they're musically talented but they don't get up in front of a, a rowdy crowd that's interacting <laughs> with you. You know, they might play a concert. They might play the piano at a recital. Yeah. But they're not yeah. playing at a band, traveling around with their family and getting real-world experience. So you were able to get those 10,000 hours through playing with your family and building strong ties. The first time I met Michael was up in Buffalo in 2017. Sure enough, his dad's there. Oh, yeah. Before the show, we say a prayer together backstage, and, and it was evident to me – immediately how tight you were with your family and i didn't even know the backstory yeah man i think that that that's such a important thing in my life uh you know you know in the sports world and, and music world it's we're gone all the time you go here do this get here go that and it's very easy to lose that 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 root of your foundation mm-hmm. and, and you kind of start slipping away from it a little bit and, and i learned through my years of being on the road and especially in the last three years of being able to do it uh, on a on a bigger scale on a bigger stage, that is very it is very easy to start losing that a little bit. And, and I found out if I can bring my dad out once in a while, if I can have some of my buddies come out once in a while, and you know keep a faith based uh, camp, you know mm-hmm. where we, we pray beforehand, and we just we all you know in, in this bus is it's my brothers. I spend more time with them than I do my you know my own family, my own fiance that we live together. I spend more time on this bus with them. So I want to, I want to invest in them as men and invest in them as people, as much as I want them and myself to invest in what we do for a living. Cause I think is if you hold that, that base strong and keep that family base and that faith base and that, you know, what's really going on in, in mentally with you, uh, you keep that strong. Everything else just kind of gets better because of that later on down the, down the road. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's awesome. You're using your platform like that. It's so easy uh, for guys to get in your shoes and say, man, I made it. Now it's time to party. Now it's time for the women. Now it's time, you know, especially in this industry, the drugs. And I've been around you and the way you act, the way you've treated my buddies, the way you treat your buddies, you're the same dude. And and what that does is it rubs off on everybody. And you're now, you know, you become the alpha of your family, of your group, mm-hmm. based upon your platform. And you've handled it so well from the time I've been around you. So I want to compliment you on that. Was your first big break in country music winning the CW show? The next was that the first big break? I think that was a break. That that was a that was a big break for sure. But I think my my big break was if I could really pinpoint one was I mean I, we were playing. I remember being in high school. I was playing four nights a week in bars. I stopped going to school my tenth grade year so I could play eleventh and twelfth and be homeschooled. 
in yeah, high school. In See, high school. that kind of that back to the outliers. Like that's why you're able to be so successful and so polished, so young. It's awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, so we were we were doing that. I remember never forget my dad going. I, I I don't know if this is a good thing to tell you as a father. You know, he's like right. he's like you, you have kids. So he's like, do I guide my son into what he likes to do? And, but I was very fortunate to have a family that even though they had the dreams of being and doing what I'm doing and being in country music, as long as I wanted it, then they wanted to support it. It was never like a hey you got to do this, man. It's on you. Like, mm-hmm. It was like, hey, dude, as long as you want to do it, if this is the path you want, you got one chance, and and uh, and we wanted to see you do it. So I met a guy named Jeff Hurst who was a songwriter in town. He's a firefighter down home, and uh, he had a connection in Nashville and so in songwriting in the recording world. So I went up there with him. We recorded some songs, and I had this one guy, the only dude that would meet with us because I didn't have going on. You know, mm-hmm. so no, one, no one's going to meet with you. You're in one of the many dudes moving into Nashville. Right. So this guy named David Preston at BMI met with us, and, and I go in, man, with my little CD and stuff. I'm like 19 years old, and he plays one song through, and then he plays the second song, gets halfway through, and he turns it off, and I was like, oh, uh, this is when he tells me I suck. You know right. what I mean? Hey, dude, just keep playing back home and don't waste my time. But he looked at me, and he's like, man, he goes, Michael, you got, you got it. He goes, it is something that we don't – nobody really knows what it is, but you just – you got it. I think you right. really have a shot at making this thing. He goes, what's your plan? And I go – well, hell, man, moved to Nashville, right? Like, I'm 19. I've saved up my money. I've been making good money. I got, I graduated high school. I've been living with my dad. And my parents were very, you know, well, I come from a very middle-class family, but they allowed me to live with them rent-free and just fu- kind of step back cash to kind of set up. My dad always told me to make my first five years, six years of my adult life, if I'm not going to college, live it like college. And as and what he meant by that was play every show, go to Nashville, do everything that you can right. to get your master's in this. Yeah, absolutely. Degree, you know, and, and, and so I said, man, I guess move to Nashville. And he said, uh, he goes, he said, man, he said, moving to Nashville and doing a showcase and getting a record deal in about five years is going to be done. He goes, you're going to need to prove, you're going to need to do something that makes Nashville go, who the hell is this Michael Ray kid? And how would we not recognize this guy? Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, so what, what, what do I do? And he goes, go home, do your acoustic gigs, but put a band together. I don't give a shit how, what, who the band is. I don't care what. Put a band together and start playing clubs. Start opening for National Act. Start getting your name out there so people see. He goes, it's a way smaller world than you think. And uh, he said, then once you become the biggest name in Florida, he goes, I want when the people in Central Florida think of country music, before they think of Garth or anybody globally, they think of Michael Ray. Right. So luckily, I didn't have anybody to meet with me, so I had nobody to bounce that information off of. Right. So on our way back home, here's Jeff and I, and I'm putting a band together, and it was like a guy, uh, dr- a guy named Braxton played drums for me. He was a uh, he was a firefighter uh, in town. A majority of my band were firefighters. Yeah. <laughs> they were buddies with Jeff and my dad that that helped me out, at the, and and they knew that I was trying to piece together my group. And so anyway, I would take this press packet, and uh, the old press packets back in the day were like a headshot, like ten. Send fun facts about Michael Ray or whatever and yeah. the CD and the info. And so I would take him around to clubs, and I would tell him, I said, I just want to play for free. I'll, the first one's on me. Just let me prove myself. Because I thought that that's my way to show these guys that, hey, I'm serious. Like, mm-hmm. everybody else going to come try to negotiate with you. Don't even pay me. Just book me again. And uh, so I go to this place called Boots and Buckles. And now John is a great friend of mine, so it's funny now. But. I go in, he don't know me from anybody, and I have my little press packet, and I'm like, hey, man, my name's Michael Ray, I'm from Lake County, and what I was doing acoustically started to spread, right. so he knew my name, and he's like, oh, yeah, man, I've heard about you, and I said, well, I put a band together, here's what I'm trying to do, I would love to play Boots and Buckles, and listen, I'll do it for free on the first one, and uh, 
He goes, all right. That was it. So, like, two days later, I get a phone call, and he's like, Michael. I said, yeah. He goes, John from Boots and Buckles. I said, hey, man. He goes, we got Jason Michael Carroll playing in a m- next month. I said, all right. He goes, you in? I said, yeah. And he goes, free? <laughs> I said, yeah. So, we book. And I, Eric, I, I practiced for that show like we were opening the ACMs. That's I mean, awesome. it was like yep. we practiced every day. We got on there, and it was just this magical thing where, you know, you know how it is in games and, and music. It's like some days you just have that where you can't do anything wrong. The mm-hmm. team's working great. Everybody's just a well-oiled machine. That was that night for us, and it just happened to be that night. So I walk off stage. Place is going nuts. It was sold out. And uh, this lady was standing in front uh, of side of the stage, and she said, hey, she said, do you have a CD? I'm with 97.5, that radio station down there in Lakeland. I said, yeah. So I give her my CD, and. That was it. She don't say anything else. I don't know anything else. We just go. We party, celebrate. Yeah. Everybody's drinking. We're like, dude, we just crushed it, you know. And John Rush is the owner of the place is flipping out. Everything was just perfect. Two days later, or the next day, my buddy calls me and he's like, flipping out. And he's like, bro, you're on the radio. Wow. And I said, for what? And he goes, you're on the radio. And I just started kind of learning the business side of music. So. I realized that there's radio reps. There's steps you have to take before radio even plays your song. I've seen you interact with the radio reps (laughs) in Louisville, too. Oh, yeah. It's it's an art. Yeah. And so I'm like, bro, I don't even think that that's legal. Like, I don't know what you're saying. He's like, legal? I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but I'm telling you, Kenny Chesney, you, Brooks and Dunn, like, they play 23rd Psalm on on 97.5. Come to find out, it was a radio DJ uh, named Sarah Michaels that was on the afternoons. She started spending my stuff at 515, which is drive at 5, which is – prime i mean that's right we fight for those hours so you want that you want your song played at that time and this snowball happened in florida to where like three months later i sold out boots and buckles the same place i opened for jason michael carroll we sold out pre-sales headlining wow and then we sold out house of blues and then we started it's just this big thing i mean it was, it was and it was at the time facebook was kind of growing too so i didn't even know really what how to use the facebook thing and like hey, we were just learning all this stuff and it was a blessing because it all just came at once where it was kind of like you innocently did some cool stuff because you really didn't know what the hell to do with it. Right. And so we were making this connection and everything was flowing and I was getting the attention in Nashville. And I went back to, to David. I said, Hey man, look, here's what we're doing. He goes, we know He goes, people are talking. And then that's what led me to eventually get the attention of the CW network when they called and asked me to be a part of the TV show. So I think my biggest, my big break to really help me skip a lot of rings in the ladder was mm-hmm. that night at boots and buckles. Yeah, that's that's an incredible story. I, I haven't heard that before. That is awesome. Yeah. We've, we've had conversations over the years, and, and that is awesome. Tell me about your transition. This show is all about transition, me transitioning out of football, learning from guys who successfully transitioned. And, and tell me about your transition to Nashville. Now you're moving away from your hometown. You didn't go off to school. Now you, you went off to play music. But what was moving to Nashville like? The big city, everyone's trying to make it. What was that like, man? Man, you realize that great as you think you are in your head you just moved to a town where everybody's the best in their town right they all moved to this town right so you really got to step it up and we were very fortunate um to have the shows in florida where i could play and actually get paid a little bit to keep us on the road in georgia uh mississippi alabama kentucky you know throughout the southeast and up towards the northeast but I moved, man, we didn't have, we didn't have, I mean, I had, we, I, I lived in a two bedroom, two bath apartment with five dudes. Dang. I slept on the floor. Um, we kind of just did everything. Andrew, my tour manager now was my drummer at the time. 
he had a job type of thing, like right. working for Kroger. Nobody really wanted to get a real job because we wanted to be able to up and leave. So he had a bedroom. I slept on the floor in the living room, and every dime that I made went to keeping us on the road. And so, I mean, we would we would throw food in in a pot to kind of just eat for the week type of thing. And uh, you know, when you I couldn't even we couldn't even afford to go down in downtown Nashville to drink. So we would just I was telling you earlier we'd get handles of Soco and lime and right. cheap Bushlight beers and just we that's that would be when we'd have parties at the apartment. But um, then we. would we all, I drove my tour van as a vehicle, and, man, I remember so many days of having $300 in my bank account and taking the van and the trailer, and the trailer tires blow. And I only have $300 to get us to Gainesville, and I know that the place is – we're only going to make about 150 bucks for a full band. But I just spent $250 on a tire, mm-hmm. and I have $50 to my name. Like, that's it. So I remember calling my dad so many times, man, and, like, in tears going, what the hell, man? Like, how – I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm doing things right. People are telling me I'm growing, but I don't feel like – I feel like I'm in this rut. I get, like, two steps ahead in Nashville and get kicked back five, and I'm back here, and I'm on the side of the freaking road, and you know. And, mm-hmm. and he would always just – you know, he would always have these lines of encouragement of, like, you know, there, there's a reason. You know, God – you know, iron sharpens iron. God puts his – you know – uh puts his hardest test to his to his strongest soldiers and when you're yep. in these valleys it's because you're climbing a mountain and you're it's you're going to get knocked up but the time once you get up there and you see everything else not only will you look down and help others but you'll be able to go man i wouldn't change a thing even though these suck right and and there were so many days of that so many days of like it's funny man i feel like in the music industry there's this tiny little hole of light in a very dark place path and you're walking towards that light and that's that little bit of light that keeps you focused because it's a passion-driven. You, you're so passionate about what you're doing. And so the light gets a little bigger, and you go, all right, we're doing it. Then it gets a little dimmer, and you get a little down, but then it gets bigger again. So you're just hoping for every time till all of a sudden you have this big light, you finally made it to where you're at. And it's all about that journey that gets you there. And so the transition was hard because I was the first person to move from Eustis from my whole entire family. So I had right. everybody back home. And to kind of leave not only that security blanket, but to leave people that I knew were going to show up if I had a show. I I had a fan base there. Right. And I'm going to take what I've built there and try to move it to Mississippi and make it worldwide, make it all across the United States. And that, it was scary. And you see Nashville and you're like, how do I even get the attention of Warner brothers? How do I even get the attention to these booking agents and these labels? You know, I I don't need, how do you, once you're there, there's not a booklet that tells you what to do. So it was it was tough, man. There was definitely some some down, some dark places that I went, you know, in a depression wise of just trying to build this. And there isn't a there isn't there isn't anything that makes it makes sense. Sometimes it's like some people move and it happens fast. Some people it takes twenty years. You know, mine took right at ten. Right, and, and that's what people don't get. People don't get the ten year grind. They see you on stage, yeah, and they say, "Man, Michael's got it." And he's got this beautiful fiance, and he's on a tour bus. We're recording in a tour bus now, not your tour van that you were driving <laughs> that was blowing tires. Yeah. We're recording in your tour bus. It's crazy man. in the AC in Arizona. You know, it's crazy, but you know that story will be so valuable to people tuning in. No matter what your grind you're in in life, you just keep fighting, keep fighting. For for me, over the past year with my career being taken away. When you were saying your dad was telling you iron sharpens iron, I was telling myself, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, 
God's got a plan for me. I know yep. he wants me to prosper. He took away football. What's going to be next? And, and maybe it's this podcast deal. Yeah. Maybe maybe I impact people through this, and, and that's my next platform. And whatever it is, you just got to trust it. And um, that that's such an incredible story, and, and I love the analogy you made about the light because you're right. It's like it's, what that reminded me of is the college grind in football. So in football, back when I was playing – we got 836 bucks a month, 11 months of the year. So you had to try and stretch that out wow. for 12 months. And I paid my own car insurance, which was 600 and something bucks every six months. So if I wasn't careful, I was, I was in the hole quick. Yeah. So there was plenty of times where I was eating trail mix, which I could take from the facility, and protein shakes. And I would go to Kroger and get peanut butter and jelly and the cheapest bread they got and i would go to training table where we could get one meal a day and i would i would get like 20 chicken breasts (laughs) and i would just be like man i could put a pack of ramen for 10 cents with a chicken breast from the training table and that's a pretty good meal that's gourmet man when you're starving and you're grinding dude yeah that's gourmet yeah And, and and it's funny but then you appreciate so much more um when you make it when you go through a grind like that and 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 that's an incredible story um who has been someone that you've met in country music that blew you away, like either starstruck or, or made an, a crazy impression on you? Um, I've been very fortunate to meet, um, to meet quite a few of the artists that I've grew up kind of idolizing or, you know, really respecting, looking up to. Um, Garth Brooks. He's phenomenal. He's one he? of them that – you know, I always tell everybody if if you have a if if you have a friend that wants to meet a, a hero that won't let them down their expectations, introduce him to Garth Brooks. He's just I feel the same way about meeting Garth. He's you met him? Yeah, he's great, man. I'll give you a, a I'll give a twenty second story why Garth Brooks will always mean a whole lot to me. Uh, I've supported his foundation for years. I've met him over the years. I've taken kids to his con- sick kids to his concerts, whatever. I hosted a football camp with him in Louisville, and he spent about 20 minutes talking to my father-in-law over by themselves. My father-in-law is a mailman in Louisville. Greatest dude. Love this dude. But Garth Brooks can get nothing from my father-in-law and gave him 20 minutes of time and made his year. And I don't even know that he knew as my father-in-law at the time. He was just being nice. And Richard, my father-in-law, just wanted to tell him a story about how 20 years ago he saw him when he played in Louisville and he can't wait to see him again. And Garth gave him 20 minutes. And to me, I said, dude, we'll, we'll support his foundation for the rest of our lives, anything he's got, because he's just so genuine. Yeah, he, he's a great man. And, and being able to, uh, to meet him a few times and really what, I, what, I, what blows my mind a lot is being able to, to meet and play shows with some of my heroes have yet to do Garth. So if Garth listens to this, I'm down 2019 Garth. It's a year of us. Let's, yes. Let's make it let's happen. Do it. Um, but like, you know, not long ago, like a couple, uh, last weekend, let's see, uh, the last weekend of January, um, country cares, St. Jude, country music has been a big supporter of St. Jude. Um, and Randy Owen, lead singer of Alabama, um, who I grew up on listening to my family's band used to try to get their harmonies the same as theirs. He's he's the guy. I mean, he's been the face of Country Cares and, and expanding uh, the the word of St. Jude um, around the world through country music and radiothons mm-hmm. and everything else that they do. And so Country Cares in this, in this weekend, country radio, new artists, um, a lot of people in the music business go to St. Jude, tour St. Jude, and it's life-changing. You see a foundation that you put 
uh, you put a place to a name that you grew up seeing, then you go there and you see what they're actually doing for these kids and their families and everybody else. Uh, we did a concert there. It's a surprise show. They don't know who's going to be on. It's acoustic. It's it was me, Jake Owen, and Clint Black, man, that's in cool. Alabama, or and Randy Owen. So uh, being being able to be on that stage for that for that cause and being able to meet you know Clint Black, who I grew up listening to. My dad told me the other day he was like, dude. The barn in Sanford, we we waited outside for Clint Black when he first came out with his first cassette was out, not even wow. CD. So I think I, probably Garth, but, man, I'll tell you this in country music, I feel like I've met Garth, Reba, Clint Black, Randy Owen from Alabama, uh, Mark Wills, Joe Diffie, um, Randy Travis. I was going to say, your story about Randy Travis. Yeah. That was – Man, that th- those moments and meeting those guys and and those and those women and, and the people that the boots and the and the heels that paved the way for country music where it is today, um, we have a tendency to not show them the respect that they deserve in my opinion in a lot of areas when we should, and uh, so I always tell people as long as you give me a microphone and a stand and somewhere to to do it, I I will make sure that people know that this is why we're here as a genre because of them and being able to to lead. Randy Travis out and surprised the whole Nashville crowd, and me and him play forever and ever, amen. Yeah, he, that's the story I wanted you to tell man. real quick. So we we're at we we're in Nashville, Tennessee, CMA Fest. Used to be fanfare for anybody listening that was a country music fan back in the day. Um, but there's a side stage. There's this, this B stage. A stage is obviously football stadium, mm-hmm. type, the Nissan Stadium. But they have a stage at Riverfront. 15,000, 20,000 people. It's crammed in there. Uh I, I get word that Randy Travis is going to be there for my set. So I asked his wife, Mary, I said, hey, would Randy be okay if I played Forever and Ever Amen and had him come out? Because I love one thing I loved about being a fan of country shows, of concerts in general, is you really don't know what you're going to get. Right. You don't know what that artist hasn't playing. You don't know what friend of theirs might be there that night that they go, hey, come on up. And you create that moment that those people will share for the rest of their life, and they'll, they'll talk about it 10 years from now because they're not expecting to see Randy Travis. Right. On the riverfront stage. And so she's like, oh, my God, he would love it. And so I say this little speech, and I said, Lanny's a gentleman, Country Music Hall of Fame member, Randy Travis. Place goes nuts. I mean, they lose it. They start chanting, Randy, Randy. I look over. He he has tears in his eyes. His wife is crying. People my, from my label, who we have the same label, they're in tears. My label president is in tears. We start playing forever and ever, amen. And, and the last note, um, amen. I just stop, and he does it, and the place goes nuts. And, and because of his strokes, he's very limited on, on what he can say and, right. and do. And, but he's got that down now. And, and to be able to have that moment, to be there with an icon like Randy Travis and sing such a signature note, uh, word of a song, was like, how in the world did I get from a two-bedroom with five dudes right, cooking in a bucket you know, and, and driving in a van and grinding out and – calling my dad and all this stuff to actually standing on a stage with hits on radio with one of my heroes being able to honor him and and we have a relationship where he's a buddy of mine now yeah that's so cool um after hearing me sing dust on the bottle and should have been a cowboy at your show in louisville uh, dust on the bottle was at um coca-cola field up in buffalo at taste Taste the country Country. we did should have been a cowboy together um i know I didn't go through the grind of Nashville, but do you think I have a shot in this industry? It's on who you know. I right. got you. I got you, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I heard you on another podcast um, 
talk a little bit about um, anxiety you've dealt with. Mm. And and this was something I, I didn't know if I wanted to bring up or not, um, but I never had anxiety in my life until this past year when I didn't know what was next. You yeah. know, for 15 years I wanted to be the best center in the world. I knew what I wanted to do. Everything revolved around it. And when I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do and what was next, and I, and I still don't, man, I had anxiety. And I, I sat there like, what is this? And, and I heard you describe it like a rushed feeling, but you're not in a rush. Yeah. And I remember I, I had days where I'm like, I can't even sit down to watch TV right now because I feel like I should be doing something productive, but I don't really have anything to do right now, so I guess I'll just try and find something around the house to do. Um, tell us a little bit about – your battle with it and how you've gotten over it because meeting you, I'd never guess that you're so good in crowds. You, I mean, I see you up on stage, rocking it out. I introduce you to buddies and it's, it's never any awkwardness. I would just assume you'd never had any anxiety. Yeah, my man, I, I can tell you exactly where mine started was I was, uh, and I didn't know this until later on in my life. Uh, my parents divorced when I was eight and it was a pretty, pretty nasty divorce. And, um, remember being eight years old man and hearing fights and you know just seeing holes in the walls and all this stuff and, and I got I had my little sister and uh I remember like I felt like I, if looking back now I can remember the time where my mind went things changed and I felt like I became somewhat of a of an adult at eight or nine years old right and I didn't want to show any irritation i didn't want to show any anger i didn't want to show you no i'm good i'm cool um but i remember always feeling this just thing pit in my stomach and it's like i just i kind of felt lost for a long period of time in my life around that time i was about eight turning nine my grandfather we were in north carolina and uh he showed me my first set of chords on guitar and that i realized that wait a minute if i play and i'm in my room or if i play and i'm on stage with my grandfather i'm over here the divorce isn't happening the arguments aren't happening right there's nothing that's going on so i would just stay in my room dude and play guitar and it was like my outlet it was what kind of soothed me a little bit and, and as i got older i didn't understand i just started l- pretty much living with this anxious fear so much that i was very well at hiding it you would never know right but i would stay up at night i'd end up coming home to my house this is and this is as early as a few years ago come home and just sit at the house and not know what to do i'd, I'd like i feel like i would like black out just walking around and look down i just been walking around for mm-hmm. 15 minutes and so much that where i was worried about answering text messages what if i say this wrong what if i do this because a lot of times a majority of time in my mind a disagreement led to an argument which led right. to a fight which was what was spun from when i was growing up and that's what was happening so anytime anybody disagreed it was a it was a big argument it was a big yelling match and all this stuff so I, I learned how to just push it all down and when you push it all down what i learned is your body's like a bucket you can only push it down so far right until it starts overflowing you might think you have it under control but that's when you some people turn to drugs some people turn to other things and i felt myself uh having that all the time to where i was needing to numb it a lot and go i, I gotta have this to do this and if i can't then i'm gonna just be worked up and never really be present and so finally i went talk i went to a doctor and i was like yo this ain't me like right because it was getting worse and i'm like i'm living the best life i've ever lived in my life why the hell am i like this like right i got everything i've ever wanted why am i 
why do I feel like this all the time? And uh, so I told him, I, I described to him, and he goes, dude, you, this is, you have anxiety. Like, you're eight. This is, you, here's what you need to do. And I told him, I said, I don't want to take medication. Mm-hmm. I, in our line of work, it's very easy to get on that slippery slope. That's and, smart. And to go, oh, I'll just take this. And all of a sudden, that's, your body gets immune to that, so you take two of them. The next thing you know, you're taking f- six or seven a day and you're having a couple drinks at night. And it's just, I just, I've seen it around other people. And I just refused to do it. So um, I started really diving into um, like meditations in the morning. I started diving into, um, honestly, listening to a lot of podcasts and, and hearing a lot of people with similar issues and going, mm-hmm. oh, wait a minute, I'm not alone. Like so-and-so with a even bigger profile deals with this, and here's how they deal with it. And, and then I started getting way more back into working out and realizing that the gym was my – my outlet to my outlet. It was like, yeah, all right, I, and then I'm good. Like I felt like I could get everything out, and, I, and so I told my team, I was like, man, y'all just give me an hour and a half a day on the road, or an hour, whatever we got, and I'll give you the other 23. Yep, just give me that hour, and I'm good to go. And then I learned from reading Malcolm Gladwell books and other things like that, and try to just heal myself. It's still something that I still struggle with, but I feel like I I can feel it coming, and I just I know what to I know how to handle it now, and I don't feel alone. And I wanted to spread that because I thought, man, if I'm dealing with this. There's somebody else that don't know what they're dealing with. Right. And if I can just say it on my phone or say it in a podcast and go, don't be afraid, especially as a guy, to go to a doc, to go to a psychiatrist or somebody, a therapist, and go, I, how do I deal with this? Because this isn't good. Because it starts, it slowly starts eating away at your relationships, it slowly starts eating away at yourself, to where you just find yourself in this dark hole. And no matter how great on the outside everything seems, if you're not mentally okay, everything else is going to fall apart. And I think it's because of leading, because I went through that and I learned how to kind of cope with it and, and f- different ways to fix it than, than, you know, pills or anything like that. Right. I feel like now I can, I've, I'm more focused on my band. I'm more focused on like watching other people going, Hey, did you good? Like we, if we, like I'm very, you know, it's helped me in my relationship with Carly mm-hmm. to go. I know, like I told her the other day, I was like, man, not only do I know that I love you more than life itself, but, like, because I went through this, I know how to talk to you in right. situations to where if this situation would have happened and we were dating three years ago, I'd have lost my damn mind. And But now I'm like, it's just like now I see life through a different lens, I guess. It was because I went through years of that stuff and that rush feeling of sitting around and literally looking at a text message and being so nervous to text back that I just don't text back. Like, And it sounds ridiculous now, but... But it's something that people really go through, and I, and people have it way worse than I ever did. And so I just, I want to, I'm so, I want to talk about it because if somebody, if I would have heard somebody describing that, and I, to me back then, I would have went, boom, boom, that's what it is. Yep. Instead of feeling like, well, something's weird with me, so I just don't want to tell anybody. And you feel guilty. And similarly, when people look at you and feel like you got it all, and and I know people had way better careers than me and w- made way more money, but it's hard for me to talk to my buddies about having anxiety, about not having a job and not knowing what I'm doing, and then be like, man, that must be tough. You get to spend all this time with your family. Right, you yeah. don't have to work. Yeah. You you got paid last year because of your injury. Like, man, yeah, that must be really tough, Eric. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it, it becomes um, – it beca- you don't really get an outlet then. So the only person I could really talk and felt comfortable talking about was Leslie, my wife, and then I'm putting it all on her. And um, but I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. And and I'll I'll 
use this as a quick transition into uh, congratulating you on your engagement. Thanks, Fired man. up for you. Um, you knew about it before anybody. I know. How, <laughs> I know. He spilled the beans to me back in, uh, I guess, December. December. I was like, I was like a giddy kid, dude. I was like, I got to tell somebody, like, he's here. Hey, yep. come here, man. Yep. And, uh, and me and Leslie didn't tell anybody. Um, do you guys have a, a date? What's uh, – What's what's next on your guys' schedule? You know, man, we had our first uh, wedding planning meeting and uh, to set everything up, and it was a blast, man. You know what's been so much fun is we're 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 finding a date. It's going to be within the year. Um, we're finding a date now, but uh, it's just been cool because I think we we get each other so well, and it's just such an it's always since day one been this just oh yeah, it's you type of thing, and, and mm-hmm. just it's been easy. And what's been fun is is we're both so laid back about a lot of things, and we both come from the same background as far as, like, two families that were blue-collar, hardworking, honest. Uh, you know, nobody had a lot of money. They were just trying to make their stuff work and, and make it happen. That there isn't any level to please, I guess, as far as, like, I don't come from some billionaire family that she's like, oh, God, what do I right. got to do? And I don't – she don't come from that, and – our family's already so tight. Like, dude, me and her mom and her dad are tight on our own. And she's tight with my mom and my dad and my stepmom and my stepdad cool. and my sisters. And and uh, it's been really cool to see her because she's from this very small family. And I, I I joke with her. I go, I'm coming in like the Beverly, the Florida hillbillies, man, just coming in. And I got the I got the divorced home and the extra parents and the s- sisters and the just the whole everything. And she loves it, man, because she didn't have that growing up, you know. So now she has you know, nephews and nieces and, and a niece and uh, just a big family that immediately just open, open arms, showered her with love. So it's been fun, man. The wedding planning, I thought, you know, I was like, everybody's like, man, you're, it's going to be tough. But it's been, we've had a blast, dude. And they, like, feed you when you go to these things. You so, must be going to the good spots. Then. Bro, it's yeah. great, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, you go then, they're like, hey, so we got our caterer here. They just made a little something. And I'm like, wait a minute. You're right. You to taste test all this stuff? They're like, yeah. I was like, this is great. I'm coming to all of them. I think Leslie did most of that herself, so she must have been getting all those meals. I, I don't think I went yeah. to any of, <laughs> any of the taste-testing ones. That's cool. All right, so we have some recurring questions week to week. We'll start off with, if all jobs in America paid the same, what would you do for a living? And maybe this is a dumb question, seeing that you're living out your dream. I'd probably still be doing this, yeah. But I, but I will tell you this. One thing that I, if, if I wasn't doing anything, if I wasn't doing this, I'd be a, a firefighter. My, my family were first responders. I grew up watching them, so – I would still be doing this, yeah. But if I, for whatever reason, could for whatever reason could not be doing this, that's what I would do for sure. Good deal. What's your favorite book? Um, probably Outliers. That's cool. Yeah, yeah that's one of my favorites yeah. as well. I have like favorites in genres, but yeah, that's uh, that's probably my favorite. Just like nonfiction. It's a book I've read. You can read over and over. Yep, and you don't I, have to read it straight through. You can pop it open to the Beatles section or yeah. you know, whatever one you want to. It's incredible, man. It's just it's one of those books that I think every once in a while you should just pick up and read again just mm-hmm. to remind yourself. Yep. What's the biggest lesson you've learned through your transition or your current career path you're on? Your transition to Nashville and in your current path in Nashville. Um the biggest one of the biggest things I've learned is is keep good people around you. And trust your gut. You know, God put you in situations for a reason, and He's put He's brought you this far for a reason. Whatever line of work you're doing, um, to trust trust my gut and to slow down and take in the moments of what mm-hmm. we do. It's very easy to to blow past the weekend of shows, and then Tuesday you're sitting at home by yourself, or you know, with me and Carly. I'm like, 
Oh, Carly, that was awesome. Yeah, and right. I, you never didn't take in the moment of that Saturday night at the Grand Ole Opry, uh, you know, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. You're just kind of like, all right, we're playing here, and we're doing this, and after the opera, we got to bust out. And I think just slow down a little bit and, and really just take in, take in that time. That's that's so valuable, and that's something I've been trying to focus on. And I, and I did towards the second half of my career is kind of just enjoy the moment. And, yeah. and you experience so much. You experience life so much different when you're when you're not always worried about what's next, and you're not worried about something that could happen down the line. Man, just enjoy what's happening right now, and I think that's so valuable. What are you most excited about for your next chapter of your career or life in general? I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to, to share it with Carly. I'm excited to, you know, we're both very fortunate to be on the ups of our careers and being able to do that together. And um, I think, you know, having somebody to celebrate those accomplishments with that uh, is kind of right there with you. I mean, we're, we're almost neck and neck a little mm-hmm. bit. So it's like having her there and, and to see, you know, in the next, you know, I will be in arenas. That's my goal. And that's, that's where my mindset is. And, and I'm not slowing down in, until we get there. And, uh, and then once we get there, I want to go to amphitheaters. I want to make it bigger. But arenas are my goal right now. And um, I just, I'm just i excited to, to have that, be able to grow, be able to look back on these times like they were the times in my van. Right. Uh, right now we're living the time of our lives. And to be able to look back and go, man, remember when we just had one bus? Or remember when we just had this? And while also taking in the moments of that, that we have right now. So I think the journey I'm excited about, but I'm more excited about being on this journey with her and – being married during that time and, and growing together and learning each other and learning each other on this crazy career path we just decided to 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 follow and and, and chase down and you know it's it's not easy at times but we make it work and you know I fly to her she flies to me and it's just one of those things where we make it we make it happen so yeah and um, two things on that one I got no doubt that you'll be playing arenas this new album you got Amos Named after your grandfather is absolutely incredible. Thanks, man. Um, one of those albums where you can just listen to it. And nowadays, I, I don't feel like many albums are like that. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. can listen to it all the way down. You can relate to each song. Uh, I actually listened to it on the plane ride here. I had listened to it a bunch of times prior. But it's one of those ones you can just let it go. And each song's a little different, but they all they all have a chance to hit. Thanks, man. That that's that's what I've always wanted. I go back when I make a record. I go, I go back and listen to Tim McGraw albums, Kenny Chesney albums. Um, I think Tim McGraw makes the best full albums. B side, they call them B sides, or the albums that you're not going to hear on radio. Those are my favorite Tim McGraw songs, and I'm like, that's how you make an album, right there. You make it where you can just put a Tim McGraw record in, and hit one. And wait till twelve, you know, and right. just go through. And so, thanks for saying that because that's that's my goal as an artist. And when we go in to make records, it's like I want to. Even though we're moving into a singles market, and we I, you know, we still got I'm, we we're still holding on to the albums, you know, and and that they're not completely gone yet. And I think it's important to have that because that's that's when you really get to know an artist, and that's when you really right. get to dive in and and really listen to music that changes your path or to go, man, yeah, I, I relate to that. You you would never hear that song on radio. Right, because if you if you just heard the single one that got away, you might not appreciate Summer Water, right? You know, which is kind of, uh, and I don't know that that's solely based on the way you grew up, but oh, yeah. you know, it's like man, you kind of put yourself in. Oh, Michael's got that side to him too, yeah. you know, and um, so that's really cool. And then my second point on it is uh, coming from someone who traveled a lot and was married. When you travel that much and you're apart you cherish the moments together. You know, I got buddies that never travel for work. They work the same nine to five in town every week. They see their wife and kids every day. 
And not that they all get sick of each other, but it's easy to. Yeah. And I always felt like me and Leslie, we just had this awesome relationship when I was playing. Even though I was gone in the spring, I was gone three and a half, four days a week. I would For 12 weeks, I'd be up in Buffalo Monday through Thursday afternoon, then fly back to Louisville, and we did that most weeks. But, man, when I came back in town, we appreciated that time so much together. And then the transition comes in when eventually when you transition out, and you can be in the music industry for a long, long time, and I have no doubt you will. But this last year, with me being at the house a whole lot more, you know, it changed the dynamic of our relationship a little bit. Yeah. But, um, all right, so now we'll hop into some rapid-fire questions. Um, Favorite restaurant in Nashville? Ooh, favorite uh, Calypso. All right. And that's very funny because it's not a big big fancy one. Yeah. It's it's just great. That and Jeff Ruby's. So, Jeff Ruby's is mine because I grew up in Cincinnati where Jeff Ruby's started. Yeah. And I never got to go to Jeff Ruby's. And now we can go there on a Tuesday. And I appreciate it every time we go. And now there's one down in Nashville. Jeff will listen to this. He'll appreciate you saying that. Jeff Ruby's is my joint, man. Anytime we can go there, I go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And and that's where me and Michael go when he comes. We've been there twice in Louisville. Uh, Who's your favorite musical artist? And I know you got many. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would have to say Merle Haggard. Awesome. What was your first car? Oh, God. It was a 1996 uh, Nissan Pathfinder. Nice. Not the nice ones. It was it was painted bright yellow uh, and black. You could see it coming from miles. It was great. I had a 91 Honda Accord. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had a good one, too. Uh, who's the most famous person in your phone? Uh, Post Malone. Wow. That's cool. Unless he's changed his number. But I'm going to, for my ego, we're going to say Post. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, what was your first job besides, did you ever, did you have jobs besides? Yeah, uh, working for my grandfather. My grandfather was a telephone uh, he, Installation and repair, uh, back when house phones were everybody had them. Uh, so I, uh, when I was in middle school, I started working with him, and uh, we install phone cables and uh, TV cables and Cat5 cables into houses and trailers and stuff. So that was te- technically my first job. So you might be a handyman around the house. Uh, I know too. how to do some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They taught me just enough to, to focus more on music. I think that's right. what the secret was. There was like, hey, bro, yeah, you can do this, or you can go play music. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I don't want to be in the six-foot ditch. I respect it. I don't want to be in the six-foot ditch spicing cable in July in Florida heat when I could be in a tour bus in Arizona. <laughs> Speaking of six-foot ditches, I was working at a cemetery in high school in the same way. Oh, see, I realized <laughs> I did not want to be working at a cemetery. No yeah. offense to the dudes yeah. that probably tuned in that still work there. No offense. We had some great times, but I wanted to play ball yeah. a whole lot more than I wanted to come back from Louisville and work on the west side Absolutely. of Cincinnati <laughs> at the cemetery. Um are there any causes you want listeners to get behind, and where can we find you on social media? Um, I think, you know, St. Jude is always a great cause. Uh, it's kind of just, as, as a country music family, we've just embraced that. And to, to be able to go there and see how they've, uh, how there's cancers that are now, where you, uh, that, that are curable, where years ago it was, I mean, it was a death sentence, you know. Now it's 99% curable. Now they go in, they go, you have this, but we got you. Right. Uh, and what's cool about them, too, is that they, um, when they, Every time they get a step further in a cure or every time they figure out a different way to handle something, they don't just keep it in their files or in their in their uh, in, in the in the room of St. Jude or however right. you say it. They spread it out. They send it everywhere. So if they find a cure, they find the next step to something for these children. It's global. I mean, it's all it's there. It's accessible to everywhere. And I think in two years, just from country cares, the donations people give through telethons, radiothons. Uh, just donations, um, the shows, the free shows that we do, that uh, you know, everything goes back to St. Jude. In a year and a half, Eric, it's going to be a billion dollars that through Country Cares has been able to, to donate to St. Jude. So St. Jude uh, is obviously a big one. 
Um, I have a, uh, I have a, uh, a charity called Wrigley Cares um, for rescue uh, animals. Um, and uh, you can get all that information for Wrigley Cares on michaelraymusic.com. And that's the website. And my Instagram's Michael Ray Music. Twitter's Michael Ray Music. Facebook's Michael Ray Music. And you can find my music on every platform you got. So Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you coming on. It means a ton to me. I think, I think the listeners will get a lot out of this. Whether you're an aspiring country music singer or whether uh, you're just someone looking for some inspiration, whether you have anxiety, whatever it may be, man, there's so much that can be learned from the words you said today. I can't thank you enough, uh, and I know personally I learned a bunch too. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for the time. Yep, absolutely. Throughout my NFL career, I worked with many custom clothing companies. Guys would come from around the country and set up shop in our facility and try and sell us clothes. And no one has compared to someone I work with locally in Louisville, Jordan Yoakum with Tom James. He is an expert concierge that can save you time. You know, I don't even have a full-time job right now, and it's hard for me to go to the mall and pick out clothes or to order something online, and it generally doesn't fit, and then I either got to go get it tailored or me and my wife got to go send it back. Put an end to that. Jordan works within a 100-mile radius of Louisville, Kentucky, and he will come to you with the clothes, and it's great. You can contact Jordan at j.yokum at tomjames.com or visit the website tomjames.com for more info. Let Jordan create a game plan with you for your wardrobe, just like we did preparing for NFL defenses. But instead of attacking defenses, you'll be attacking your next business meeting, wedding, or derby event in style. That's j.yokum, Y-O-C-U-M, at tomjames.com. And when you contact Jordan, make sure you tell him Eric Wood sent you. Thank you for tuning in to What's Next with Eric Wood. Please subscribe and rate it five stars if you enjoyed it today. Look forward to sharing another interview with you in a couple weeks. Have an awesome day.